I learned back in the day when you're launching a new product or service, you got to launch it like a jab. It's got to be out as quickly as possible with the least amount of expense as possible so you can find out whether the market will accept it or not. And then when you find one that hits, then you can you go ahead. And the jab, in the same way, you're probing, probing, looking for weakness, and then it opens up the power punch, which is the big cross. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. If there's one element to e-commerce each of us owes a debt of gratitude towards, it's programming, or coding. Today on Ecomonics, we bring you some important insights into the backbone of every last business that uses a screen. Additionally, Stefan Mischuk has enough accumulated experience to have gained an insight into the fundamentals of living a full life, simplicity, and avoiding carbs. Whether you ever see yourself learning a new coding language, you'd be making a mistake not to listen to this episode twice. Stefan Mashuk, good to have you here. Thank you for joining us today on Ecomonics. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We were we were glad to reach out to you because we wanted to make sure that we were covering a lot of different uh, sides of the, um, really not, not just the e-commerce world, um, but really the digital world. So we can start with having you tell us about uh, what you do and your business, studioweb.com. Studio Web is an educational platform that's used in schools all over the world and essentially teaches students how to code, but it provides a bunch of tools that schools and districts and teachers need behind the scenes, uh, grading and tracking and distance learning features. So we've been doing this since, I guess, around we launched a prototype in about 210 and working with schools over the years, we've been refining the offering, and uh, here we are today. Now, I—I I mean, I've—I've I've been through college, and one of the things that was, I guess, an issue walking away from it was there was two like levels of quality work. There was professional work that people will, you know, want want to want to see you do, and professional work that can get a, a person a, a job and a career. But some of the work that I did in college, it didn't feel like I was really preparing myself for getting out into the world. So um, what do you guys do to make this uh, education and make this um, really get people uh, ready to get uh, out of school and into the into the working world? Good question. So I come from a, um, a background of, of uh, where my father was a teacher, a vocational teacher for, for a long time, and many of my aunts and cousins are... We're a family of teachers. Vocational education is practical work-oriented education. So traditionally, that was like plumbing, electricity, and so forth, auto mechanics. So um, I also have a deep background going back to the 90s as a professional developer, having worked on many projects of my own and for other people. So what I've done with the Studio Web curriculum was design a set of courses and a platform that is vocational. So my goal is to teach students what they need to know so that they can get up and running as quickly as possible writing real-world code. If you look at any particular language or technology, it's vast. You look at Windows, it's huge. But to really mm -hmm. be productive in Windows, you just need to know 
I don't know, 5% of it, 10% of it. <laughs> and the same thing with programming languages. And so my job as a course creator, course creator and a content creator was to not only make it easy and understandable, but also to teach the key concepts and techniques so that we can move the student forward through the process so they can come out with real skills. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get uh, further into uh, what you do and some of the stuff that I uh, have taken a personal interest in doing research is that I want to draw a connection between, um, and this is going to be very broad, but I'm sure we'll still be doing a number of people a favor here, but a connection between a programming and the e-commerce world. So from your perspective, how have you uh, really interacted with uh, e-commerce and go as broad as you feel you need to go? Okay. Well, you know, I, I, you know, besides the studio web platform, which is more or less B2B, uh, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a business to business platform where I deal with institutions. But we also deal with the general public. So that's all about e-commerce. And there's different, you know, I've done e-commerce for digital product as it is now, whether it be streaming video courses, downloadable stuff, and also for physical product. So this is all wrapped into e-commerce and, you know, transacting with uh, uh, back-end processors, whether it be uh, Stripe or PayPal or your own um, merchant accounts where you hook in through a provider. And, And there's all these different ways of approaching it, but that's, all part of it and such an important part of, uh, you know, modern development, if you're going to look mm-hmm. at, but also modern business, especially with the COVID situation, I believe it's going to advance e-commerce uh, within a couple of years by 10, 15 years, because everybody's going distant, distance learning, distance shopping. Of course, the king of that is Amazon, but you see mm-hmm. a bunch of small independent uh, shops they're all getting into uh, company owners are all getting into e-commerce now because that's it's just the future of uh, a business, I guess. Right. And so for, for listeners, uh, one of the things that we're going to uh, accomplish on this uh, show throughout its uh, uh, long and, and, and fabled uh, legacy is to remember that it's not just about, oh, I'm just going to open up a shop by template and I'm going to start uh, drop shipping blankets or, or fashion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of industries and a lot of moving parts that are all working together to make this work. And, and programming and code is uh, one of those. So I, I, you linked me to a, an interview that you have done. And I'm sorry that I got to basically ask you the same question. I know you've answered it hundreds of times. But what is code? And part B... Um, what is framework? That's the one that I'm a little bit more keen on because I get code. I had a coding class in high school. I had to make um, a game of uh, blackjack as a final assignment. And by that, I mean my friend did most of it. So like, I kind of understand code, but it's it's the framework part of it that I'm going to be more curious about. So uh, okay. let me have it. All right. So in a nutshell, and I won't go down the nerd path too deep, uh, a code is just a written language that is used to give instructions to a computer. Tells computers what to do. Computers uh, speak a certain language, if you will, or understand certain language. And so you have to understand their their language. So you have many different coding languages like JavaScript and HTML and Java and Python, et cetera. And they're all different ways of communicating with the computer giving instructions to the computer. That's what code is. So a framework is just, um, there are packages of code. They're pre, like they're like templates of code, if you will, in a simple sense, like cookie cutter template. And they're just Mm -hmm. a quick way for you to be able to get something up and running 
without having to reinvent the wheel over and over and over again. Oh, I see. So let me see if I if I can um, recite this back to you. Um, so if I let's just say I wanted to build a website from scratch and I didn't get a, a, a Shopify template, and of course that template would be a Debutify, uh, but I could get a framework and I can plug that in, and the framework would basically be the template. Yes. It, the beautify, it, 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 in, a, in a very loose sense, not in a pure nerd programmatic sense, but it is a framework. And every modern coder slash developer uses frameworks all the time. And it's silly not to. And, and mm-hmm. even though I'm a software developer, I've written commercial apps in eight, nine languages over the years, I'm a huge proponent of using frameworks and and high-level products like Debutify and WordPress and whatever, whatever is out there, whatever Shopify, why reinvent the wheel? Mm-hmm. If anything, if there's a, if there's any way to improve on it, that would probably be uh, the the better thing to do with your time. Exactly, as I tell people, I said you have plenty of opportunity to write code. Don't invent opportunities; <laughs> they'll come up. Yeah, that's fair. So you also offer two business courses, uh, Complete Freelancer and Complete Entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are a few of those out on the market in book, audio, video form. There might be a few of them in VR by now. Not that I've seen them <laughs> myself, but um, what's distinctive about yours? I, um, you know, I take it, I, I take it from the point of view of, um, my own personal experience going back to the 1990s. Before I wrote code, I was a business owner and import-export, rare fish and frozen food, water purification products. And so in all my courses, it's very much me. I don't go out there and do a lot of research about what everybody else is telling you. It's all based on my mm-hmm. own experience going back to that time. So the freelance course um, provides everything somebody needs to to know about freelancing in the web space, but it, it goes beyond that. Um, it's it's again, it's just based on my own personal experiences. And I've been ment- mentoring people for many years now, so based on you know actual progress. The entrepreneur course again, it's just based on my own personal experience and experiences of my friends, and it's all tied in. I think the key difference is all tied into my technology background because any modern business has to leverage technology just to be competitive. doesn't mean you have to become a programmer or a coder, but you have to understand the technology landscape so that you can leverage this to have an advantage in the, in this, in the, in the game, in the market. And so all my courses, my entrepreneur course, of course, my freelance course, they're, they're centered around business, but it's all tied into the reality of, of, of modern business, which is technology supported to a huge extent. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, one thing I can say to back up from my own personal experience, too, is that er- early on, I was really excited about doing a webcomic, uh, which still exists, but it's not my uh, place to promote it. And I had the choice between putting in the time to put the website together myself or pay somebody $1,000 to do it for me. I later on figured out how much the template would have been and how much time it actually would have taken. It was some of the worst thousand dollars I've ever spent in my life. Like even a, a small amount of understanding and practice can save somebody thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, well, 100%. You, you hit a nail on the head. I, 
Um, I, I'll just tell a quick little story. A good friend of mine, he owns a travel tourism business, all online, of course. And he does a pretty good volume in the multi-millions a year. And one of his skills, he said, that has been so valuable to him was just knowing basic HTML coding and basic CSS coding because it allowed him to be able to communicate with his um, his contractors, his web developers and designers in a very effective way, saving him a lot of time and money and just understanding the process. So exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then also, uh, I can support that too with this one, and then I'll move on to the next question, which is, um, when I was applying to uh, this job, I had, I've freelanced in the past, I've done, uh, I've done editing, I've done publishing, and I've also got my performative uh, sides too. So while not everything was necessarily like my, my number one strength, having a good, full, broad understanding of all of these d did give me a lot more of... Um, of an edge when other people might have excelled in one thing, but had no proficiency in anything else. Uh, there's a, there's a great saying about, well, it's supposed to be, everybody thinks of it as um, a jack of all trades, uh, master of one, uh, or sorry, master of none, uh, which is not actually correct. The way it's supposed to be is um, a jack of all trades, master of one. So as the more proficiencies you have, the more you can keep up where um, you might lag behind versus having like no proficiency in it at all and then being really good at one thing. And then you kind of turn into a burden at times. Well, yeah, that's, you know, one of the things I teach you, modern entrepreneurs have to have broader skill sets um, so that they can, that's how you have to have that to be able to operate the business so you can communicate with different people. So you have an inkling on what's going on. doesn't mean you have, you have to be an expert in everything, but you have to have mm -hmm. a broad set of skills, much more so than if you're, if you're working for somebody. So this applies to any type of business, whether it be online or uh, a traditional business, you need those. Yeah. 100%. Excellent. Uh, you wrote, uh, it's a book, it's called uh, web design start here. Uh, which is still available on Amazon. And one thing you've been keen to mention is that the content is evergreen. So programming is a, it's a dynamic and ever-changing industry, as uh, we've established. So uh, how did you accomplish uh, an evergreen status for this book? Um, I do that because, well, things do change, but um, the, web, um, the web stack, the web technologies they went through rapid changes quite a bit in the 90s, but it really started to settle down in the maybe early 2000s, mid-2000s. And that's just a normal evolution in any industry. You, see, you look back at the car industry, you look at the wacky cars that they had come up with in the, you know, the 1990s, <laughs> crazy stuff, three-wheel cars. And, but they sort of settled on a particular design now, which is you know across all the brands, right? We know what works, what doesn't work. The web has reached that stage in the mid-2000s, the web technologies, HTML, CSS, how servers work, all this kind of stuff. So even the new cutting-edge stuff is just um, a slight change of stuff that's been around for like 15, 20 years. So number one. And number two, because I concentrate on the key fundamentals, as I like to call them, uh, mm -hmm. these don't change at all. The web, the infrastructure of the internet is the same. Uh, the design of the infrastructure of the web is the same. HTML, CSS, JavaScript hasn't changed. A few little changes here and there on the top end, meaning on the more obscure stuff. But when it comes to the foundational stuff, the stuff that you use 99% of the time, hasn't changed in several years now. So when I wrote the book, Concentrate on the Fundamentals, 
I also avoided any hot frameworks of that time because frameworks will come and go, but the core languages and the underlying tech doesn't change. And, uh, and also there's a lot of, um, this experience based lessons in the book, uh, best practices and how to write code, how to structure your projects, that kind of stuff, uh, for a beginner, but nonetheless. So that's how I did that. And it's still several, it's, well, it's been a few years now and it's still 100% applicable today. Okay. Well, uh, great answer to that. It's interesting that you, uh, brought up cars, uh, cause you're right. There was some pretty, um, uh, elaborate, uh, and but frankly, dangerous um, uh, early phases for that. And mm-hmm. I, I also, in my mind, I'm picturing um, the the design process uh, with aviation and how people <laughs> at a certain point would attach like huge flaps to their arms and they just ran for it. So, <laughs> yeah, those are great videos you can see about YouTube. Right? <laughs> those are fantastic. Yeah. Do, do you ever um, do you ever wonder if because things become um, solidified that it might uh, hinder our ability to re-examine the fundamentals. It's it's this is this might be a bit of like a nebulous question, but imagine if, say, for instance, the car as we understand it is um, fundamentally people picture like a four seater, but then if you think about how often cars are on the road, usually it's one person in the car, maybe two, and then you have to go through this whole effort for carpooling. So if I were to imagine like what uh, a future an even more efficient future for the automotive industry, it would be like single seaters. People just have this little box that they, that they get into just, and maybe like fit their groceries uh, just under their seat or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I think, um, I think the market will kind of see that happening. It will allow that to happen. Um, yeah. Like, I think you're slowly starting to see that evolution with the EVs, the electrical vehicles. Mm-hmm. And I think that the big game changer in that regard, and it's just a guess, is, is, is when so- autonomous cars become 100% reliable. I don't know when that's going to happen. Then all of a sudden you might, for the first time, not need a steering wheel. Or maybe, you know what I mean? I don't know, but... Mm-hmm. Well, I would love for, I would love for, for uh, autonomous cars because uh, I'm, I'm blind in my left eye, um, which I actually like. Um, it took me a long time to get used to it, but being uh, artistically minded, um, if I if I watch a movie uh, and I and I shut my uh, my my dominant eye and it filters the screen in front of me, so it'll go from like oh Robert Downey Jr. portraying Tony Stark to Tony Stark Jr. portraying Tony Stark to Tony Stark. So it's 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 a negative that I've spun into a positive. But the reason why I bring this up is because. I am at a huge disadvantage on the road. And so is my girlfriend. The two of us <laughs> combined have the vision of one person. So if they put like a, like a, like a one, like a two person steering wheel where we both hold onto one side and we core and we work together then sure, I'll think about it. But otherwise a, a self-driving car would be a, a huge game changer for me because it would actually give me the freedom of travel that so many people uh, get to enjoy. So you're, you're literally blind, totally hundred percent blind in one eye. I am, I am, it's it's significantly blurry. I am legally allowed to say that I'm blind in my left oh. eye. Uh, when I look through it, it's like I'm underwater. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Did it, would, were you born with this or it was an injury? Yep. yep. Really? Uh, I, I was born with it and I thought it was normal. Uh, I thought everybody was like this. I, we, I'm, I'm left-handed. I, I, I write with my left and I see with my right eye. And I just, I always thought, uh, everybody was like that. And most people have like a stronger eye on one side over another, but yeah, it wasn't until like high school, I realized that, uh, uh, it was actually, um, 
it was something that uh, that set me apart. And we don't want to like to spend forever on this. I enjoy talking about it, but um, I, 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 like I said, I, I'm happy to have it now uh, because it gives me a new way to perceive things, and it gives me the ability to to, ha- to view things in a way that other people can't do unless they squint, which would make them look silly. So I, I've taken it and I've run with it. That's that's very interesting because I, I, I my major in university was psychology. You got the left right brain, and and if you look at the modern data, I wonder how much it how much it impacted your your brain's development and your cognitive capacity. That's very that's interesting. I asked about that because I, I, I was curious about that myself. And you know, my, uh, my my girlfriend, she's a stroke survivor, and she also has to rely heavily on her right brain. So both of us, um, and the reason why we, we get along so well is that we're both artistically inclined. We're both visual learners. So I, there, there is some, uh, some, some credence to it. And if anybody in the medical industry wants to reach out, I'd be happy to, to conduct some surveys, some experiments. I've, I've, guinea, I've guinea pigged for worse causes than that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well thanks, for the, uh, thanks for the tangent. I, I actually appreciate being able to, to talk about it. Again, wasn't the plan, but that's how these things go. That's cool, man. Sweet. So this next question is going to be about the uh, the benefits of uh, of coding. Uh, one of the benefits that you mentioned about becoming a coder is that you give it gives people a deeper ability to understand applications and how other people's uh, work results in an end user experience. And to draw a comparison from my own life is uh, for I did background acting for a number of years. It's, it's how I met my girlfriend. And when I'm on set, one like one shot we did. It was a scene where somebody's just like walking through a subway having a conversation. It took us eight hours to finish that scene. Between the time we showed up, uh, had our, our wardrobes confirmed, uh, all the different angles, lunch. It was, eight, it was eight hours. And so when I sat down in the theater and I watched 1917, I was blown away by the amount of work that they must have put into making that movie possible. If, if, if anybody who hasn't seen it, it's this, like this movie that takes place all in supposedly one shot, but there's tricks to it. Uh, but the coordination that they put into it is, is mind-boggling. So to bring it back to, uh, to, to, to your side of it is that there's a lot of good that comes from, even if you don't get a job you know, being a coder, knowing it uh, still helps out a lot. So can you expand on that for us? Sure. I, I, I first, I remember, I still remember when I first identified this back in the day, when I first started learning how to code, you start understanding how coders think, and then you're going to start understanding how their applications work because coders are going to design and engineer their, their apps the way that they, in the way that they think. And so I remember when I started learning how to code, I started just understanding how they laid out their apps, you know, whether it be Photoshop or uh, Word or something. And it was just, it became easier for me to navigate through the program. I know it sounds really strange, but it is really something that I still, still strikes me to today. I remember that. So it's just getting into the mind of the, of the creator of the application uh, when you learn how to code. Beyond that, you know, uh, just in terms of, just understanding processes and understanding how to organize information uh, that can have tremendous impacts in other aspects of your life. Because a big part of coding is just breaking down complexity into simpler components and then stitching them all together in a logical manner. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um, one thing I was wondering just from my own experience in uh, high school is that when we did, we took a programming class, 
before we got into like the actual hard coding, the first thing they showed us was pseudocode. And I've always wondered if pseudocode is actually something that people do or if my teacher was just kind of out of the loop. Is, is pseudocode something that you that you do? Um, yes and no. Sometimes I pseudocode, yeah, I, I guess if when you're architecting something really quick, you're putting together, I'm trying to avoid jargon. Uh, when you're putting together the basic blueprint, if you will, you might use like what you could classify perhaps as pseudocode to sort of just say, it's like leaving markers. Say, okay, I'm going to use mm -hmm. this type of thing here and I'm going to use this kind of, because it's it's creative. And so you, instead of trying to write out the, the the actual raw code itself, which could be time consuming, you just write a little pseudocode, which is like uh, mm -hmm. representative of it. So it depends, you know, how people design applications, whether they use pseudocode or not, or uh, how they, there's different approaches. So it's, it's, it's legitimate. It's legitimate. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I, I noticed that, that there was a, a language that, uh, that stood out to you, which was uh, Ruby. Um, but it's <laughs> heyday is over and don't worry. I can, I can empathize uh, with you. Like I haven't, really had a chance to ask them about a coding language uh, and, and having a sentimental relationship. But I do know from when I was growing up, I was cutting my teeth on um, on Flash, uh, which, used, which is still around, but it's certainly not applied the, the same way uh, mm -hmm. it was. Because um, a, a lot of us, we cut our teeth on it because it was an animation program. Whereas now there's lots of other animation programs and other uh, dynamic ones. But um, well, why was uh, why was Ruby special to you? It's a bit of a running joke because uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't personally done much work with Ruby. Ruby, we did one oh, site okay. monitoring app with Ruby. No, it's a running joke because in two thousand and six and seven, at the height of Ruby mania, um, I wrote a I wrote a controversial piece on my my blog Killer PHP, and I was just making fun of Ruby for fun. And just I, I and I was uh, defending PHP because at that point, uh, the PHP community felt embattled by Ruby. And I said, and I looked at Ruby, and it, it's got a lot of good things. That language has a lot of good things about it, no, no doubt. But I found there were some fundamental problems with it, uh, which I won't get into here because it's nerd talk. That I felt that it would never really supplant PHP, where at that time, PHP was considered the garbage language and because in the past, it was a pretty shaky language. So I wrote this piece and it went for the time, it went, it went viral at the time. And then other forums would refer, big popular coding forums at the time would refer to and they had to shut down like the thread because people were going, <laughs> it, it was just like, it was like, it was like pre-Twitter, but people were going totally insane. It's like, and so it became a writing joke. It's just a writing joke where I just say, uh, every language is great because I'm kind of language, I'm not kind of, I am language agnostic. And what I mean by that is that all these languages, whether it be Ruby, JavaScript, Python, Java, C Sharp, whatever, uh, they're all good depending on the circumstance. You, They're all designed to do something particularly well. And so that's really how I feel. But my joke is, and I make fun of people who are language zealots by having this joke where I say, Ruby is terrible or, you know, or you shouldn't, you should use this and this, but except for Ruby. And it's just, it's just my little dig. I'm having fun. Cause at the, at my real belief is that Ruby has its place uh, as any other language. It just depends on circumstance. Does that clarify that? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only I only got uh, so much of the sense of it going through um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I mean, uh, I, the the core of the question was if there was any particular code or or language that uh, you have uh, a bit of a, a personal uh, relationship with or any sentimental attachment to. In the same way that, like, if not for Flash, which is now animate, but mm-hmm. I will I will still call it Flash. I I wouldn't be the person that I am today because Flash was something that I can get my hands on very young. And it gave me a means to express myself creatively where I could not count on school to do that by, by far. Uh, 20 minutes in art class. Yeah, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, Action Script was uh, great. We used to do it back in AAS 2 and 3. Um, for me, it was Java. I really cut my teeth as a developer in the 90s as a Java developer. I even, I created my own web framework at the time just for myself. It could, it, it was a great tool. But yeah, for me, it was Java. I still, to this day, as strange as it sounds, I, well, you, you know, I have an affection for Java, although I would not personally recommend Java for most new projects because it's too heavy and verbose. There's some languages are quicker to write with and some are slower. Java's in the slower category. Even though it's a fantastic, solid language, it just takes forever to get anything done. Yeah, I don't even know if RuneScape is still on Java. <laughs> Minecraft, Minecraft is uh, Java. Uh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the the sixteen bit architecture of that. Um, so this next one, this uh, this is a record. I haven't asked a question based off a meme before, but anybody in marketing understands the uh, the power that a meme can have. So this totally counts as a question that is worth asking. But you're familiar with the uh, the learned to code meme. Uh, which got a, which got a little heated. Uh, so for those who uh, aren't uh, aren't too versed in what happened, um, the the very simple explanation is that it was this implication that if somebody lost a job or if an entire industry went down, that they should get into programming. Um, which the there 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 is somewhat of a of a sentiment there of you know hey, you know times times are changing. Uh, if you can uh, learn to code, then uh, you'll you'll be better. But then it turned into a disparaging term. Where somebody said, "Well, yeah, you're 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 not good at your job. Just learn to code." So, from 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 your side, from your community, how did you guys take this? Ah, uh, you know, it's like I heard about it, and it was for me, it was just an inconvenience because I, you know, I'm teaching code, and and I believe that people should learn to code because it, I think it's a great skill. But if you 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 got you got blacklisted if you used it, you know. So I, it was like mm-hmm. a a storm trying. You you don't want to get caught up in it's. Uh, you know how it is to today. Anything could get people angry. Well, even in the past, I remember people would get into screaming matches over like Mac OS versus Windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it is what it, it is. What it is you know, I, I, I don't know. Is it still, is still a problem now? Can you say learn to code yet or is it still uh, on the blacklist? I don't know. Well, I mean, we said it in context at least like two or three times, so we'll uh, we'll, we'll find out. But, I mean, I, I, I observe, uh, I observe uh, meme culture um pretty uh in, in depth and most memes these days they don't they get like two weeks in them every now and then a meme will survive and it'll become uh, a fundamental but i don't think that one is is going to stick around and well i mean one of the things that i'm i'm learning just from talking to you and, and from the research is that coding getting into coding is not as prohibitive as people think because uh, yeah. when they think coding they immediately think that this is a this is a nerd thing. This is a high tech thing. This is this isn't just using a website. This is making a website. So no, a lot of people can be intimidated by that. 
Yeah, you know, I think one of the reasons is because um, there's a lot of information out there put out about coding, but a lot of people who teach it don't know how to teach. And coming from a family of teachers, I can tell you teaching is a skill. It's a talent. And if you have some person who puts out a course, in quotes, uh, mm -hmm. but doesn't know how to teach, and then what happens, uh, people tr try the course, and they get very frustrated because they don't understand, and they figure, oh, coding's not for me. It could be, but I think there's a 97% chance it's not you. It's the person putting out the course who doesn't know how to teach. And, and I don't mean, and there's some good ones out there, don't get me wrong, but that's just a fact that it's a matter, you know. So it's it's a personal issue, pet peeve, because it, it takes people off a path that it would, could be very beneficial to them, unfortunately, if but they run into this landmine. Skill, uh, skill, there's skill in everything that you do, you know, and teaching is no exception. Well, I think it helps too that you're doing a lot of advocacy, you know, even just the, the, the video that you had shown me about your, your interview on, I think it was like breakfast television, which is a morning talk show here in Canada. Um, breakfast television doesn't skew to generation Z. I don't think it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it skews to, to, to parents, um, and so when they see that, either they might think, oh, maybe I can do that. Or they think, well, you know, maybe my, my kids can get into that. So advocacy is uh, one of the key things is to, to talk about it and to, and to share it uh, with others. And, you know, we're, we're even, uh, I think, I feel, I'm, I'm glad that we're doing uh, some of this today as well. Yeah, well, you know, I too came from it, uh, came at coding from a, um, I, was a I was a trained graphic designer. I was not, a, I, I, I failed grade 10 math twice. I'm not exactly a logical person uh, naturally. And, and it was a bit of a challenge for me because at that time I had to learn from books and on my own, but I just kept at it. What it does, it teaches you to perceive the world in a different way and a more, I think, a more accurate way. Just like if you learn a second language, you start seeing, you know, each language, whether it be French, English, Spanish, they have words or that, that recognize phenomena or aspects of our, our of our world in a different way, so it gives you a different perspective mm -hmm. on things. I don't know if that makes that's too. It, it it does, but let me see if I can uh, restate your position. So I, I only speak English, and I and I know about like four words in Italian, uh, mm -hmm. one of which I can't uh, say live. And <laughs> one of the things that I do know about the English language is that it. it us English speaking population, some people can be very direct and, and forward, but there's a lot of nuance to the English language. And there's a lot of like inference and people saying something and not quite meaning what they say. And which is something that I don't very much like or appreciate because uh, I have such a creative mind that I need people to be direct. Otherwise, I will try to understand what a person is saying and I'm going to go off on all sorts of different uh, possibilities. But when I think, I, and I don't know this, this is, I guess this would be more an assumption, but I, my assumption is that people who speak to each other in Italian really are direct because there isn't that history of inference. It's just saying what it is that you think and, and communicating it and also communicating the, uh, the, the emotionality of it too. And uh, and being and just being open with what it is that you want to say, um, because over time, when we use languages, we're conditioned to expect words to have certain effects, yep. like certain words, the ones we don't need to say, 
but there can be very powerful and very harmful words uh, that in one context can be painful and in another context can be intended not to be painful, but there's history to it. And so it hurts anyways. So I can understand from that side, from that point of view, I know I kind of uh, opened up a few threads there, but I, I think I got what you were trying to say. Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I know French fairly well and French is like kind of like job in the sense it's very specific uh, it's verbose, it's very specific, but you know, it's easier to understand the context and the meaning of the language. Whereas, as you said, English is very contextual, very loosey-goosey. So it's easier to learn English, but it's much harder to master because it's it's contextual. There's a lot of implied meaning to things. And yeah, so yeah, I understand. Okay, great. I'm glad we can uh, find uh, find the commonality there. Um, so one of the things that, um, that I've picked up uh, again, from your research, but also talking to you, is that you've gone through chapters in your life. Uh, things have been significantly different for you over the course. You've talked about some of your your, your hands-on positions, labor positions, your 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 coding, um, and now you're you're the you're more of like an architect of the business operation. Yeah, I so best describe it. Yeah. So, what compels you to? Um, to make these shifts from from one industry to the next? I'm an eclectic by nature. I've always okay. been. Like I have a deep martial art background. I did martial arts for nearly 30 years. And I did many different styles. And I just uh, would jump from style to style, system to system, school to school, because it, it, it just entertains my mind. And um, it's just my personality type. I, I, I just liked to explore different, uh, fields. And I think cause it's beneficial. Like one of the things, even within the context of software development programming, when you, I tell people when you want to, you learn programming language, number one, JavaScript, as an example, when you decide to jump over and say, I'm going to learn a little Python by learning Python, you're going to have a better understanding of JavaScript. So, and I find that this is also uh, prevalent across uh, disciplines. So like simplicity in design, aesthetic design, which you're familiar with as a graphic designer, as an artist, um, mm-hmm. that also translates in coding as well. The same principles translate. So I look for uh, these universal principles. I've been looking for these for, for decades now. They're kind of like my infinity stones. And the universal principles are truths that cut across all disciplines. So that's why I just jump around. That's just my, that's how my mind is, uh, that's how it's structured. Does that make sense? It does, but I, I can't resist asking you what those uh, universal principles uh, are or Okay. If you've if you sorted them out by now, um, but I'll, I'll if I can just uh, fire one off of my own is that one of the things that I value is bravery, and mm-hmm. one of the things I've always noticed that didn't that where things don't work out for me is when I'm not brave enough to uh, speak out. Like if like one friend group that I was hanging out with, things would start to get a little bit more tense each week after week. We would hang out, and I would never say anything, and then eventually I just lost the friend group altogether. And I feel like if I was braver. And I had pushed back against um, uh, against some of the discourse. We might have been able to resolve things, but I let little things go to the point where they stacked up, and then and then it was lost. Conversely, the the times where I was uh, sticking to my guns and I was and I was going through something, even when I wasn't clear I was going to make it out the other side, is how I ended up here 
you know, talking, uh, talking with great people and, and doing great work. Yeah. 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 I can see that. It's, uh, well, I'll give you a simple example of simplicity in, in, in design. Simplicity is, 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 is such an important thing. Uh, it's, you know, you can translate that into minimalism. Same thing with coding. The best mm. coders write very simple, easy to understand code in fighting arts and martial arts. Um, the best exponents, the best martial arts, the best fighters have very efficient, clean motion. And in fact, mm -hmm. when you get into the higher levels, you, what you're trying to do is, is continuously refine and refine your motion so that uh, it's like a sculpture. It's not a painting. It's not a painting. You're pulling away the, the unnecessary, the excess. Coding's like that as well. You want to pull away all, you want to have simple code. You want to simplify, streamline keep it in saving with great design of course so that's just one example simplicity to strive towards simplicity mm -hmm. okay I'll, I'll offer up one more and then uh, I'll, I'll move on because uh, I've got some other stuff that I'm uh, keen to talk to you about but another one for me is value um, one of the things actually I do I learned this from uh, some of the games that I play like in 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 strategy games where we have to carefully manage our resources to get more out of what resources we have at our disposal versus what the opponent has. Uh, so chess, I should say chess would be one uh, example of this. The ability for, if you take the, um, the, it's been a while, but you take the rook, the piece that can go all over the place. Mm -hmm. If he's in the corner, uh, his potential value is diminished because all of the potential places the rook can move are not utilized versus having the rook in the center where now the rook has full range of motion and can and move all over the place it puts extra burden onto the opponent's mind to keep track of what that particular piece can do yeah yeah well it's same thing i'll go back to fighting analogy in boxing and uh, striking arts the jab you know you're throwing you're flicking out mm -hmm. the jab that's used kind of like the the pond or the rook it's you're flicking it out there you're probing with it it's mm -hmm. a it doesn't require too much commitment it's low energy it can throw the guy that your opponent off it has multiple uses and it, that's how i launched my products back when i had physical products i learned back in the day when you're launching a new product or service you got to launch it like a jab it's got to be out as quickly as possible with the least amount of expense as possible so you can find out whether the market will accept it or not and then when you find one mm. that hits then you can you go ahead and the jab in the same way you, you're probing probing looking for weakness and then it opens up the power punch which is the big cross right or the hook. Mm -hmm. does that make sense it does yeah i mean what it's um one of the things that we've uh talked with other guests uh, about prior to is the difference between uh, coming up with a very simple like white label brand to sell a product and uh, mm -hmm. just to see if it takes and if it takes then to go for a fully decked out uh, website with uh, with uh, with copy the blog with community engagement and so but if you go for the for the cross right away uh, as you say there is no guarantee of its success because there's no openings and there's no strategy developed and, 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 and potential for huge loss. That's, you know, that's why a lot of businesses fail is because they just, they figure, oh, we got the, we got the, we got the product, we got the new iPhone and they launch with everything. And then they find out crickets, they got nothing. And so you just want to get it out quick. So yes, yeah, 100%. Okay, great. I've got a couple of, um, 
uh, minor curiosities that I've uh, picked up from your Instagram that I'd love to uh, hear you expand on. So I watched your uh, IGTV video on uh, building versus buying. Um, and you make the case that um, if, let's say, I were to buy a franchise, I wouldn't be an entrepreneur. I would be an operator because the franchise isn't mine. It's something that I've mm-hmm. taken and uh, and really I probably wouldn't even be able to make my own because I have to adhere to the rules of the franchise as well as make sure that the operation is familiar because the people will see the inside it does like it they go into a mcdonald's and they see it's run like i I don't know a donut shop then they won't make that association in their head um so if you it just let's just say that you could buy a franchise just even for the fun of it is there anyone that you would want to get your hands on that's a good question um Okay. I personally wouldn't want to do a restaurant because I know people and it's a hard business to be in. It's like you yeah. eat there seven days a week. Nothing wrong. I have nothing against restaurants. Uh, I, I eat I eat too much. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I would just I would I would just look out the current market, see what's hot. You know, Lululemon if they franchise. I don't know if they do. That would be something I would be interested in maybe because it's you don't have perishable inventory and. Uh, and I don't know. I, I would I would look around, see what's hot at this point in time. But generally, I, I try to find something that's uh, emerging as opposed to something very well established, uh, simply because more more opportunity for upside there. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I can think of one brand that's kind of doing both, which is uh, A and W. Uh, they've been around for a while, but they've gone through a revitalization. I would uh, make the case within the last six to seven years mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden a and w's are popping up all over the place so that to me seems like a good balance of those two facets something that has a legacy and they and they've done really well with their product they know what they're about but they're also um adjusting to the um well just the, the modern uh, food eating industry yeah how about uh, five guys five guy burger I don't know. They did. I've I've been. uh, I had my COVID fifteen here. Put on some weight. uh, (laughs) So my friend is like a big keto guy. So it's like uh, I go to Five Guys Burger. They laugh when I say I'm here. I'm on a special Five Guys diet. They laugh at me. I get the the burger without the bun, like with the lettuce wrap, no carbs. So it's pretty tasty. <laughs> yeah, well, we got a we got a five guys uh, down in. Uh, well, I assume it's still there. I haven't been down in Toronto uh, in some time now, um, but five guys, I, I like that one a lot just because it has a bit of uh, that showmanship to them. Um, it, it gives me the same feeling that Honest Ed's used to give me. May it rest in peace. Uh, for those of you who don't know, which is probably a lot of you, Honest Ed's was this uh, big, um, almost like Vegas billboard uh, store that um, was run by a former uh, show business mogul. And it's gone now. Everything is turning into a condo in Toronto. That's okay. That's life. Well, they play good music at uh, Five Guys. I think they, they're always playing 70s and 80s music. So I found that. Anyway. I'll have to take your word for it. It was always packed when I would go there. All, the, all those uh, free peanuts being crunched. It was a little much. <laughs> no more peanuts now. Post-COVID. Peanut, uh, no peanuts. Oh, yeah. Fair. Well, I don't know if it's fair enough, but I guess we have to accept that and move on. <laughs> So uh, I was reading through your blog and not, you know, I haven't touched much quote on myself. I did my best to understand it. But mm-hmm. uh, one of the posts that uh, struck me 
is that it's not always advisable to switch over to new technology for a company. Mm-hmm. It's a fascinating insight because it's this is the first that I've seen somebody make that case. And I can already understand some of the building blocks towards the argument, which is about, you know, things have leveled out, um, things have taken shape. Um, but can you give us the rundown of it over here? And then my follow-up to it be is, how would you determine when to switch technologies? Good questions. Um, first of all, you make a good point. Um, the technology trend has flattened out. So the stuff that's coming out new with uh, exception of the new cloud hosting um, platforms out there. But beyond that, but in terms of the raw coding languages and frameworks, th- there's nothing tr- truly groundbreaking, I, in my opinion, in the last many years. And so when you're doing a switch over to a new tech, a lot of times it's just a lateral move. You know what I mean? It's not, there's not going to be right. a huge yeah, yeah. leap forward. And whenever you implement a new technology, it comes with a lot of uh, cost. You got to learn it. Every technology has its problems, its idiosyncrasies. Uh, I, didn't, I don't know if I pronounced that properly, but you get my idea. They, they all have their issues. You may look at the shiny new car and go, ah, it's a beautiful car. Look, it's so much better than my car. And then you, you buy it and you realize, yes, it's better in some areas than your car, but in other areas it's not as good. And so there's always trade-offs. Typically, there's some exceptions. There's some exceptions. That's the first thing. So um, the second thing, any new tech by its very nature is um, is going to have it's going to have flaws and bugs. It's just the way it goes. I never buy first gen anything, whether it be the uh, new version of an iPhone. I wouldn't buy. I want to see the second version of that that new design. Not not. I love Apple products. It's just they got to work out the kinks, you know. So yeah. So you know, so I don't see the the risk of the learning curve and the potential immaturity of the new tech uh, is not worth the, the incremental reward at this time. Most of you know, and, I, and I wouldn't underestimate the point about uh, not adopting right away because the key advantage that at least I've found from people getting in on something right away is to be part of that initial conversation where there is a lot of hype and there's a lot of excitement. And if you can stick to that momentum and be part of the development process, it does give the person a chance to even have an influence on, on it. Whereas, whereas if something is structured and is in its pretty uh, concrete foundation, yeah, there might be some, some changes to it. But as you've said, using your sculpting analogy, it's, it's more or less worked out. And what's crazy to me is that, and this is the best that I can do to, uh, to um, associate with this, is that I, I don't really buy very many things right away. Uh, with the exception of video games that start in Z and end in Elda. And <laughs> even th- even that wasn't a good idea because I, I bought the game on day one and it was running terribly. They hadn't they hadn't refined it. They hadn't patched things. Uh, there was frame rate drops all over the place. I couldn't visit a town. And this is a video game we're talking about here. And I and I complained. I said, Nintendo, I, I want to play the game, uh, not a not a not a slideshow of of the game. And I had to get it refunded. And I was just like, geez, iPhones I get, but video games now. Yeah, yeah, it's that's yeah. You proved the point. What was the second part of the question? I forgot all of a sudden. If you remember. Well, I would have forgotten to, but thankfully I have them written in front of me. How would you determine when to switch? Ah, 
it's uh, a good question. Um, when there's a key functionality in the new technology that is not easily reproduced in established old tech, um, and that's a judgment call. That's a judgment call. Um, I, I was. I won't go into any coding examples, but yeah, you have to basically. It has to have this new technology has to have a very very significant advantage. Something it has to be able to do something that the the older established uh, reliable tech cannot do. Okay, good, good, good answer to that. All right, so I got a couple of. Um... This is some personal development questions, um, lifestyle stuff too, because um, it's not just uh, about the um, uh, about the, about the job. It's about being in the right state of mind to to do it. Um, you've talked about the principle of um, minimalism and your uh, and your fu- fundamental principle of simplicity. Uh, that was a question, but in the interest of simplicity, we're already going to go with the answer you gave to it earlier. Um, so the other question that I have is about. Uh, you talk about uh, Python pounds, which refers to the weight gained uh, sitting at a computer all day coding, uh, mm-hmm. which we've touched on just a little bit. Um, so can you tell us about uh, diet and exercise routine, what you've uh, done that's worked well for you and what you would uh, suggest other people adopt? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, intermittent fasting is uh, basically the easy, there's many ways to do it, but you know, see your physician, et cetera, et cetera. So what's worked for me and several other people is that uh, my last meal of the day is like, uh, is, uh, supper. And then I don't eat again until the following afternoon. Intermittent fasting has been huge in terms of me, uh, maintaining and pulling off weight. That's first and foremost, because what that does, it allows you to still eat the food you want. You know, because I don't believe in in restricting yourself in terms of uh, the type of food. Because you're never gonna you're never gonna be be able to be disciplined enough. Most people won't anyway to be able to stop eating the food you like to eat. So intermittent fasting is a nice way of cheat code, if you will, of getting around that. You can still eat what you want, but you just eat less. So that's number one. Number two, drink lots of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't drink enough water. I'm guilty of that because that helps your body clean itself. And, and number two is uh, in, in, implement into your life, put into your life, I would suggest, habits of uh, routines that encourage mild, consistent exercise. So it could be like walking an hour every day at lunch or something like that, or doing push-ups when you step away from your desk, do five push-ups. You mm-hmm. just want to have it. So it's just integrated into your normal day-to-day activity because if you – Join the gym and set up two hours a day. Most people won't be able to be disciplined to do that. But if you slowly, incrementally add little healthy habits in terms of diet, in terms of exercise, et cetera, you'll be in a good state. But this is nothing new. and Everybody's doing this kind of thing. But that's what has worked for me. Although I've fallen off the wagon on occasion. And one thing I'm doing now, as I mentioned, is I, I cut out carbs and sugar. It uh, When I eat bread and sugars, it, it knocks me out. It, like, it really fatigues me. Uh, but if I don't eat breads and sugar, my energy levels are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, sugar is uh, its like a risk-reward proposition. It energizes the person very quickly, and then it you have to pay for it later. So it's almost like taking a, a loan out on your, on your energy. Mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. Especially uh, as you get older, you become more and more sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so it's... Um, 
that's what I do now. Everybody's different. Some people are allergic to peanut butter. Some people aren't. Um, so you have to figure that out. But I think the broad advice is moderation and uh, intermittent fasting. Now work. I, you know, Georges St. Pierre, he is a famous MMA fighter from George St. Pierre, JSP. You ever heard of him? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, only because uh, I occasionally listen to Joe Rogan. Okay, so he's very one of the most famous MMA fighters in history, and uh, he's from Montreal. And I used, he used to train at my gym, and I ran into him maybe six months ago at the the country club gym I was a member of, and he told me about that. He was saying uh, intermittent fast, but he talked about that on Rogan as well. Works for him. Mm-hmm. There was another uh, guest. I can't remember his name, but he's like an MMA trainer. His name's uh, Faraz, and I'm sorry that I can't remember the full thing. But to your point about just doing like five push-ups when getting out of the chair, uh, his case was if people go to the gym, and, let, and let's just say hypothetically that they com- they're committed to it, and they've been going every uh, every week consistently, and they go for a few hours, and they and they kill themselves, and then they're in pain for a few days, and they can't do anything, yeah. versus doing a little bit each day over the course of a day, what ends up happening is by the time that you've gotten to the end of a month, you've probably done more than how much the guy at the gym did because the total volume has exceeded because there's less recovery time. There's less downtime. Well, exactly. That's, that's how I teach structured code, by the way. The whole Studio Web application, the way the application structures around that principle, uh, frequency of exposure is more important of time. So what does that mm-hmm. mean? If you expose your body or your brain, which is part of your body, by the way, uh, to a certain stimulus on a regular basis, your brain will start to say, okay, this is important. I better uh, I better um, habituate to it, if we, for lack of better terms. I better adapt to this. There we go. So whether you're learning something new, a new concept, or whether you're training your body the more frequently that you can expose your body to this in moderation, the more quickly your body or your brain will adapt. I think I, I was I was thinking you were going to use the word uh, climatize, but uh, your your word checked out uh, probably more so than mine. Uh, the other concept uh, in, in terms of personal development that I wanted to ask you about um, is what you refer to as cognitive load. Mm-hmm. Um, if I understand it correctly, it's the mental exertion needed to make decisions. Um, and I'd love if you can give us a breakdown of it, because I think that's going to help people a lot, too, to understand uh, how this works and what they can do about it. Well, going back to the, the, the mind, your brain is part of your body. And, and like your body, if you overtrain it, it breaks down and then takes time to recover. Um, the brain has a certain capacity as well. Uh, so when you're learning something new, you want to you want to stimulate and push it, but you want to overdo it and burn yourself. Um, there's also cognitive load in, in the moment where if you go to a website and if it's too busy, there's too many distractions, there's too much to take in. Uh, it's, 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 the brain is just overloaded with stimulus and it, you don't, it's hard to get your message out. So one of the things, one of the oldest practices in web development, web design, whether it be for just a standard application or or e-commerce site is you want to have, uh, you want to design your site. You want to design, uh, design it so that the person doesn't have to think or has to think uh, as little as possible. So you want to reduce cognitive load. And there's actually a very famous book from the 90s. It was a super bestseller. It's called Don't Make Me Think. 
And uh, that's all about cognitive load. And it's a concept uh, I, I, that's from psychology. And you just want to reduce uh, the amount of sensory input coming in, if you, especially if you're looking to sell, sell, uh, sell a message, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that we're going to have to, we've, we've definitely have to look out for. I mean, I think as far back as when billboards started getting put up, it, it, the idea of people being on the road, but also being distracted while they're, you know, trying to drive and uh, not get into an accident was uh, a telltale sign of things to come. And now it's, it's out of hand. I mean, there's so many things that I can just, between my, my PC and my phone, uh, I can, between uh, games and YouTube, there's a lot of time that I can lose uh, mm-hmm. very quickly. So it does, uh, it does take a lot of discipline. Yeah, it um, reminds me, I remember years and years ago, I heard... Um, Howard Stern, of all people, he said the difference between people who are successful and not successful is that people who are successful can edit. And and he's talking about focusing his their, your message and so forth, but also focusing your time and also reducing cognitive load. That's why I'm a minimalist as well, because what you'll find is if you have less clutter in your environment, um, it will calm your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're... Uh, Luckily, luckily for me, I just uh, got into a new apartment less than uh, five days. And so it's a, it's a starting point for us. And, and we're keeping it in mind because it, it's, it was good to have like a, a restart and a refresh. And now that the, we entered the, the place and, you know, the walls are all white. And so we say, OK, let's stick to this color scheme as best we can. Just try to get things that are also black and white. Keep the keep the color information down to a minimum. So I think it, I think it might help if people need to like reset and then start building little by little what it is that they actually need. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sort of faced with the same situation where I came in this place, uh, my new place, and the previous owner had uh, hired, definitely hired interior designers, and they remodeled the place. But there's this wall that's just, it's uh, it's like a rock wall, and it's just taking, it's it's oh, it's too much. i rather, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to have a huge wall that sort of locks me into a particular style, And you know what I mean? I see. You want to have something plain and simple, and then you, you can, you know, it's like a page, you know, you're, you, in design. If you have a nice, simple layout, you can, you can create the mood of the page just by adding one image. But if you have a real busy layout, then it becomes very cumbersome to, to, to create the emotional message in that page. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Especially, especially, yeah, it does. And it really depends, too, on um, what they're trying to convey. You know, if it's like an outdoor living um, and they want to promote relaxation, if they're trying to sell lavender, then yeah, just like a, an image and a couple of colors is all you really need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I learned that with the big red couch. I once bought a giant Italian red leather couch. And at first it was the coolest thing ever. But after like a couple of years, I had this giant red, bright red couch in my room. I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you notice like your blood pressure increasing over time because of that i just it, 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 about it, yeah yeah it got me angry started head headbutting my couch at uh, a bull reference it's uh yeah. now for me accent pieces should be colorful and your major pieces should be uh neutral i i agree with that and i will definitely be applying that all right so i got uh let's see what i got here i got Two more questions for you. One of them is really more of a package than a question, but um, the other one is uh, I want to get your position on education. Um, this is something that we got to, to talking about at the beginning of it, and mm-hmm. I want to uh, circle back to it. Um, so as I went through your Instagram, um, you posted an image of a job application 
that paid minimum wage, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But one of the qualifications was a master's degree. Um, So I I, want to hear your position on it. And and if you can weigh in on on, uh, both sides of this, uh, that would be uh, optimal, at least for, for my purposes. So what would you like to see change or what would it wouldn't in the uh, post-secondary education or I guess really ed- the education system altogether. And then what do you encourage students to keep in mind when they uh, apply and go through the system? Okay. Um, so we're talking, I assume we're talking about college level, uh, not K through 12, not the, uh, not up to high I mean, level. if it, if there's a reason to bring it up then by all means, but I defer to your expertise. Okay. Um, well, you know, like anything, like any other market, um, you know, in the 1980s, uh, if you had a degree, it was it was money in the bank because there wasn't too many people doing it, I guess, and relative to today. But now there's so many art history students, and there's so many uh, philosophy students, and uh, you know, there's a supply and demand situation going on here. And I'm not taking away from the study of these uh, these in, in these fields of themselves, but all I suggest is that you strongly consider the financial implications of going to debt to study something if there's not any jobs that will justify that expense because you don't want to be caught with student loan debt. I'm talking about a U.S. audience. Um, so I just pointed that out because, you know, it shows you, like, you know, you go years and years of school and that's what comes out of it at 15, I forget what it was, $15 an hour or something, you know. It's, yep. I don't know. Is that is it worth it? You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Um, whereas if you you gotta you gotta let the market you gotta let the market guide you in your choices in that regard. That's what I teach people, even within the context of coding and, and e-commerce and whatever. You gotta let the market. You may find a particular specialization super great, like action like action script flash. It's, it's super fun, but, you know, there's not much of a demand, you know, so you're probably mm-hmm. better off keeping that as a hobby and concentrating if you're, if you're interested in employment into something else. Um, but, you know, originally university was not a place for uh, people to go and uh, develop work skills. It was a place for the wealthy to go and explore whatever disciplines, you know, for, for their own purposes. Um, but it kind of morphed into that. Um, so I would just say to, to people who are looking at university, really look at where the job opportunities are because you don't want to come out of it four or five years later with debt and four or five years down the tube and you find out what you did doesn't have any uh, financial value. You know, there could be intrinsic value, but no financial value. So, and I would, I would like, you know, you know, I think, I think it would be this. The students would be better served as the schools would really emphasize this kind of financial and pragmatic awareness. Mm-hmm. So I, I can uh, I can take a perspective uh, from the art side because I did go to college. Um, I, I took the uh, the Humber School of Comedy um, to to learn the comedy industry, uh, which I'm reluctant to bring up unless I uh, I produce laughter. So you know I'm good, but the we we all knew going in we weren't going to make money off of it. We know what the industry is about. Um, and yes, people can get some money of it, but it's usually like a platform to uh, get to other things. You know, you do stand up, then you can learn to write a TV show. Mm-hmm. And 
I have two observations uh, based off um, what I'm hearing and also my own experience. And one of them is that I think the reason why a lot of people have gotten into you know the, the liberal studies is because they come from a wave of um, conservative leading households where people weren't in dire straits. They didn't necessarily need to treat their job as like a means to survival. They wanted to, and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm including myself in this. Um, we understood um, it, intrinsically that we could take chances and we said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's take these chances. The second point is that the ability to derive any value from those skills is relative to where you are physically. So the, the, the crafts and the little t- uh, tips and tricks that I learned um, in the performative side would be completely washed out in the heart of the community because there's lots of people who are naturally better than me at it. No problem admitting that. But I take that to an area where no one has brought those skills to it goes from a detriment to an asset. 100%. I, I, that's a very good point. And uh, like, for instance, I, my major in the university was psychology. I never completed because I went off and my, I had to choose between my business and psychology. So, mm-hmm. But to this day, that background um, has been invaluable to me. And, and, and it goes back to what we had discussed early on in the podcast, having as an entrepreneur – Having a, a broad range of skills is valuable. And one of the things I preach in my coding courses, by the way, is great communication skills, great writing skills. You're, I tell people you're better off to learn how to write better and how to communicate better than to learn a new framework or to learn a new language. So I agree with you 100%. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the arts are, are useless. Not at all. I'm mm-hmm. just saying consider the implications of your choices Maybe you can study it on the side. Maybe you can study it through, uh, in, in, you know, maybe you're, part, you're from a part of the world that doesn't cost you anything, then fine. But just just be aware of the implications of what you're doing. But again, I'm not taking away from it. If you can write well, structure your thoughts well, whether it be for psychology or, or uh, whatever discipline, philosophy, et cetera, et cetera, or just, you know, doing comedy or film, these days is the best time in history to be a creator. With mm-hmm. all the platform, best time in history, you can get a, a, a just with your your phone or just a very inexpensive camera, you can film beautiful quality content and have a huge audience. So I totally encourage best time in history to be an artist. So don't get me wrong. Right. What I'm trying to say is I'm not. I think it's great, but it just. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, uh, I I come from that background, and I didn't. Um... I, I didn't feel that you were disparaging uh, it whatsoever. You're just being, you know, just being uh, uh, honest and upfront is that, you know, learning basket weaving might not necessarily lead to a, uh, a full-time job. Yeah. And if you want to learn it, fantastic. And maybe it will come in handy later on, but maybe don't go into debt for 40 grand to become a basket yeah. weaver. That's all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, fair enough. I, I agree with that. All right. Uh, last uh, last order of business is for people who are uh, interested in uh, getting started. Uh, hopefully that we've um, created a compelling case today that uh, understanding coding, learning coding, um, learning backend, this is all going to uh, help uh, us uh, e-commerce entrepreneurs um, navigate this environment better. It's going to give us an edge. And for some people, you 
might have a knack for it and it would be worth uh, worth doing. So, uh, Stefan, what would you recommend would be some of the first baby steps that people can take getting into programming? I always say learn the fundamentals. Uh, I have a very simple track that I, I teach. Um, you learn your fundamentals. So we'll, we'll talk about the web. Those are the key, the key three languages, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And then I okay. say, go out there and find one or two quick little clients to build something with. Because you learn best by by doing. When I wanted to learn how to fight, I just jumped in the ring and I fought. And in, in, in a one one three-round fight was worth six months of training hitting the pads. And same thing with coding. You know, one built website is worth more than doing 10 tutorials. So just jump into it, um, learn your basics, do a couple of real sites for people, basic things, or even for yourself and just get out there. If you want to do e-commerce, just throw something up quick. Going back to that other principle we talked about, get it out there. You learn so much by doing. Don't be afraid to do it. And, uh, and write code, write a lot of code, uh, and, and just like training, expose yourself daily to a little bit, even if you're not feeling it one day, just do 20 minutes, just do 20 minutes, sit down, mm-hmm. write out some code, be confused. You're going to be confused at first, but just, just do it. There you go. In a nutshell. Yeah. I, I can back that up too. I mean, I, you know, I've taken some tutorials. I've, I've, I've learned some stuff, but, uh, when it came to my, uh, my venture into podcasting, I just... I jumped in. I, I was so excited. I was so uh, compelled to do it that I just, you know, the the learning just came through experience. So uh, you're 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 right on the money. Yeah, yeah. You get you get the insight. Uh, you get the eye. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's like again, same thing. When after you've been in the ring, you fought 10, 10 15 opponents. You start getting a, a, a level of understanding about the dynamics of of a fight of an opponent. That you don't get, you can't be, even if you're told about it, you don't really comprehend it until you jump in. I'm sure you have that with podcasting. I'm sure you have a perception of what's going on and the dynamic of the conversation that I don't have because I'm not a professional podcaster. Well, you know, with respect to uh, to your time and the time of all my guests, I'm glad uh, I didn't get to do a show like this until 10 years had gone by and I'd had a chance to, to learn and figure out what it is that I'm going to do and what I'm doing. Yeah, well, it shows. Exactly, exactly. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's uh, that's all we've got to today. Uh, Stefan, once again, you have my uh, sincere gratitude. No, I appreciate it. Was, uh, it was an enjoyable conversation. Thanks for reaching out. And to you as well. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please Take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, Head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.